Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. Welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, just a friendly reminder, Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast, but if you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media or even leave a review on social media at Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History, and on Twitter at Snapshots In. Well, if you listen to the episode last week, you heard me complaining that I haven't watched an NHL game pretty much all season, and that continued this week. I saw like five minutes of the Bruins-Hurricanes game. Actually, I don't even think it was the Boston Bruins that were playing. I think it was the Hurricanes and somebody else. I can't even remember. That's how little of it I saw. But I am excited because I'm getting ready to do my annual OHL trip. My buddy Kyle, who lives up in Buffalo, I typically meet him up there. Last year, I think we did Hamilton and maybe Mississauga. Nope, it was Hamilton and Oshawa. But I'm excited this year in a couple weeks, we're going to hit up Ottawa. We're also going to go to uh, Mississauga and then I think hit Kitchener or Guelph on the way home. So I'm excited about that. As everybody knows, I have this huge fascination with junior hockey. Love OHL hockey. My only regret is I wish I would have been exposed to it at a younger age because I feel like junior hockey now is really changing and it's not the dominant place to play like it once was. I think NCAA hockey has really stepped up its game and and, and I think a lot of prospects are developing there but i digress I, I get off topic it's time for another new episode and we've got a great guest this week i know i say that every week but this one he's awesome it was terry Roskowski. terry former captain in the nhl played with the chicago blackhawks played with the la kings the pittsburgh penguins played in the wha awesome dude with some great stories and he doesn't hold back i really really enjoyed for his uh interview what we did is we went through his 7980 uh, season, which was his best in the NHL. Guy had 70 points and was also team captain of the Chicago Blackhawks. Awesome. But we also talked about the transition from the WHA to the NHL, and we started off the interview with that. And the Blackhawks were kind of in a unique place at this point. They had several veterans on the team, and they had some young guys, and and we talk about all those guys. Terry goes into Stan Makita. He talks about Tony Esposito. He he tells you who the grumpiest player he's ever played with was. So a really good interview, and, and Terry's the reason I do this podcast. Guys like Terry. Because he's a former captain of an original six team, and I don't think a lot of people know who he is. And he had a hell of a career. He was all over the place, and and everywhere he went, he was a team captain, I think, too. I think he was also the captain in Pittsburgh at one time, Um, and then I know he ended his career in in Minnesota, played over 630 NHL games and 369 WHA games, so it kind of makes you wonder if he would have gone the NHL the entire time, would he have gotten over 1,000 games and more people would know who he is? I don't know. I honestly don't know, but I hope that people enjoy this podcast and listen to this podcast so you can hear about some of these former NHL greats that aren't talked about as much anymore. So this is Terry Roskowski's 79-80 season with the Chicago Blackhawks. We talk uh, the regular season and we get into a little playoff talk. So enjoy the interview. We'll catch you on the flip side. We're covering your first season in the NHL, the 79-80 season, and it's your first with the Hawks, but you by no means were a rookie. I mean, you'd played in the WHA, and you had been drafted previously by the Hawks. So can you kind of talk about how all that went down and and why you chose the WHA versus the NHL and all that kind of thing? I absolutely will. What happened is I... It was one of those telephone drafts where there nobody really get, got there unless they were the first, you know, the top ten or the twenty, whatever that were going to get drafted were probably there. Everybody else kind of stayed by the phone and waited for them to phone ring to, to the phone ring to to find out if you got drafted at all or if where you're going. And had a really good junior year. I had a really good junior year. I had forty goals and ninety three assists. I had you know wow. uh, two hundred some minutes and penalties. You know, I tried to do everything I could to be noticed and. Uh, I played the All Star game uh, with a hip pointer, and I well that was real painful. But I, I couldn't 
help but not play in it because it's the first time I've ever been in the All-Star game. So I played there too. But then the draft came in and uh, Harry, the um, the drill manager for um, for the for this for Chicago when they drafted me, either the end of the third round or start of the fourth round, they said, uh, "Terry, we just draft Chicago Blackhawks. Just draft you." And I'm going, "You got to be kidding!" Because my father's best favorite team was the Chicago Blackhawks. Oh man, His favorite player was Stan Mikita, and I'll get back to that later. I got a story about that. I can't wait. But yeah, so I. Um, I said, great. I, I'm honored. I'm flattered that you that you drafted me. I'll do my best to to show that the people that they made the right decision by getting me. And okay, Terry, just and I remember those last words. Us small guys have got to stick together. And I'm going, yes, sir. Thank you very much. No problem. So it, my agent, I had a great agent, uh, Norm Kaplan. Oh, sure, he, sure. I've heard of a couple guys use him. Really good guy. So here he went on holidays and had a heart attack on holidays. I'm going, no. what's going on? You're supposed to have, if you're going to have a heart attack, have a heart attack at work, but not on holidays. <laughs> but, uh, and I love the guy. He was, you know, anything I had problems, he'd fix it right away. I really liked him a lot. And we try to negotiate a contract. And, but before that happened, the WHA had a secret draft at Christmas time. And they drafted two rounds. And I was their second pick in the draft. In, you had to go into Houston. And, um, and I didn't know that until after the after the the, the draft was already set and in summer we started negotiating and they called me and I told who my agent was to deal with him. Um, they Houston Chicago came back with an offer a tryout with the Dallas Stars, which was their the minor Mar- league affiliate, right? That, yeah, not not a contract, a tryout. Oh 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 oh. So I and then I said, well, what's Houston offer me? Houston offered me offer me a three years no cut no trade contract. And I goes, okay, uh, decision is not hard to make. I'm going to Houston. Plus, Gordy Howe was there, and I'm going. Are you kidding to play with Gordy Howe on the same team? My idol. Are you kidding me? That's a no brainer. It's that's a, a no brainer. It's was, a no brainer. Was the guy that called you? Was that Tommy Ivan or was that Bob Pulliford? Tommy Ivan called me. So that was Tommy that called you, who was the GM from I think like fifty four to seventy seven or something like that. Yep. Okay. Yep. So then I had I was it was a no brainer. I'm going to Houston. And uh, what the good part about it is the guy I played with on in, in Swift Current, my junior team, he was their first pick, and he was the first pick of Boston. A guy named Don Laraway. He never really made it you know, where he should because he was talented, but just didn't get the breaks. And him and I went to Houston the same time, which was good because at least I knew somebody there. And I was scared to death, Brett. I, I'm a small <laughs> town. I'm a small town in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, population of about 15,000. And I'm not, now I'm curious about Houston. I'm reading about Houston with all this violence and going on, go, oh, population of like 2 million people. I'm going, are you kidding me? What's going to happen here? I was really nervous and scared. But going with Don kind of helped me out a little bit. And once we got there, uh, we started to practice and getting things going and looking around. And I, I fell in love with the city. I fell in love with the people. I fell in love with the organization. I, was, I thought it was a great organization. And to this day, I would just regret that uh, they had to fold because uh, I knew if they went to the NHL that I think that the, the people in Houston would probably react better and, and probably sold the building out and start being more attentive to that situation. But... Um, and they, you know, it didn't. They, they sold out. They Well, they, they closed folded. down. They closed down, right? They folded. And you ended up going to Winnipeg and playing you, out your final season yeah. there, right? Michael Gabotti, the owner of Winnipeg, was amazingly smart. He he knew that he was going to lose, you know, Hedberg and Nielsen to, to New York. He, they were already, already gone. He was smart enough to buy the contracts that he wanted to come to Winnipeg. So he purchased the contracts, and that's how you wound up in Winnipeg for your final well, WHA season. Well, they had my contract, yes. And I remember Rudy Pillis, and I love Rudy, don't get me wrong. I didn't want to go to Winnipeg. I did not want to go to Winnipeg. And, and I kept on calling my kept on calling my fiance say I'm not he's, I'm not here, I'm not here, I'm not here. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, this is half for two weeks now. And all of a sudden, he called at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I, of course, I'm still sleeping. I pick a hello. It goes, Rudy, hey, this Terry, this is Rudy Pellis. He said, uh, I'm trying to get a hold of you for two weeks. Your heart got to get a hold of him. I said, yeah, Rudy, how you doing? <laughs> he goes, D- he gives me the spiel about Winnipeg and all that kind of stuff. And we had a huge rivalry, Houston and Winnipeg. We hate each other, like hated each other. 
And um, and he got talking. I said, Rudy, I, I really don't want to go to Winnipeg. Well, why not? We got this. We got championship. We got a great ring support. I said, I know you do. I just don't want to go. I just Manitoba. Yeah, I just don't want to go. Yeah, he, he kept on. It's not the city. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't the city that okay. I, was, uh, I didn't want to go to. It was just the organization itself because I just didn't like the people there. Okay, okay. The players I played against. I fought a guy in the penalty box. I had from Winnipeg. I had uh, wires around my neck, my arms, my leg. The guys, <laughs> the guys in the penalty box had to jump on the ice to get out of there because we we were going at it. <laughs> it was a guy because Winnipeg. So you you end up spending a season in Winnipeg, and then the WHA yep. folds. Yep. And there's a there's an announced merger, and you find out you're going to go back to the Blackhawks. How did you? They had your rights originally from the draft. So was it after the merger they retained your rights? How'd that work? Right. Well, I'm not quite sure how it actually worked. I okay. think they still own my rights because of the draft. Um, but going back to Rudy, I finally said to Rudy, Rudy, I'm telling you right now, I'd rather dig ditches than go to play with you in Winnipeg. I'm serious. <laughs> I'd rather dig ditches. And he said, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. He said, well, I said, I'm sorry. That's just the way I feel. Then the owner called me up and says, Terry, come on down. You and Carol, come on down. I just want to talk to you. You don't have to sign if you don't want to. We went down there, and I, him and I got along so well. We still do get along really. We call each other once a week or once a month, I should say. And call oh, that's each other great. Talk, yeah, but going, going, to, uh, going to Chicago, they, they had my rights. Uh, they had a deal. I, this, I, I don't know the true fact. They had a deal with Bobby Hall and myself, Chicago and Winnipeg. Now, I don't know how that was working, but Chicago, the last minute, got away from it and said, we're not going to do it. And I guess Winnipeg was too late to, to do any kind of movement because they already made a decision. They were keep, keeping Scott Campbell and Morris Lukowicz because they can only keep two players, um, you know, protect two players. What it looked like it was, was it was you and Rich Preston were claimed mm-hmm. by Chicago and then they right. and Bobby Hall was as well, but he was left unprotected. Right. So he ended up going back to Winnipeg. But you bring up a good point, And this is what I wanted to talk to you about. There was a lot of talk about the Blackhawks trying to reacquire Bobby Hall. Right. In your memory, was that all talk or, or was that a real thing? Apparently, what I was telling Brad, I, what I was told is that they really had a deal set with Winnipeg in Chicago with me and Bobby. They were supposed to do some sort of, now I don't know if I, they're to keep the rights, keep Bobby's rights and give me back, uh, Winnipeg, give the back, uh, my, me go back to Winnipeg for, for, the, for the rights for Bobby. I don't know what happened. I think that's what happened, but I'm not sure. But then all the last second, when Chicago says no, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna keep Terry, and uh, they end up keeping, keeping you. And and you know Bobby was older at this point, and I, I'm I'm you know you played with Bobby Hall, and I think it would be I I really didn't play with him. Okay, so what was your experience with him then? Because you're right, he did that season. He he was not a fan of Winnipeg, from what I can tell. What was your experience with him? Well, I I played against him for a number of years, and and um, I, I if I can remember right. They, we were we were not doing very well in Winnipeg, and um, we started playing well, playing well, and we got a new coach, uh, Tom McVie, came in there and just turned everything around for the whole team, because you know the hatred between Winnipeg and Houston was still there, even though we tried to mend it as best we could, it was still there. But Tom McVie came in and kind of said, "Okay, I don't care, give a damn who you are, what you are, where you came from, you're all one team, and I'm gonna skate the crap out of you," <laughs> and he did. <laughs> That'll put you together. But then I heard through the grapevine that. Bobby wanted to come back and play for the playoffs. And I think they went around to everybody. So what do you think? And I'm going, where was he when we were, you know, where was, where was Bobby when we were struggling? Right. Right. Where was he then? Was he, I didn't hear him come and say, let, let help, we'll help the team to get out of the struggle. Now they made the playoffs. And I don't know if it's true or not. That's just what I heard. And the conversation went that way. And I said, you know, why, why would that happen? You know, if, if he wants to play, he should have played with us when we were struggling, not when we make the playoffs and have the glory. Interesting. Interesting. So you end up signing with the Chicago Blackhawks. You end up working yep. something else in a 10 training camp. And it gets underway September 16th at the old Chicago Stadium. And this will be your first NHL camp. Yep. What are you thinking? You were in the WHA. Now you're in the NHL. Are you nervous about the hockey? I, I mean, yes. you're making a oh, – please, yes. go, go into that. Yes, I was – I was very nervous. Again, it was good because Rich Preston came with me, which 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 Rich was. I played with Rich in Houston. I played with Rich Preston in Winnipeg. Now I'm playing with him in, in Chicago, so I knew him very well. And, and, and to be honest with you, he's probably the best corner man I ever played with. Like mm-hmm. he was unbelievable. Like when he went in the corner, all I had to do was position myself and yell at him. He kicked the puck or passed the puck to me, and I passed it to Grant Mulvey, and he would score. It was it was just a it was 
just natural. But going there, I was, yeah, I was pretty nervous. You know, you hear all this, you know, stuff. And you, even though you're WHA and you think it's pretty good hockey, you still look at the um, the scenario where, yeah, this is the NHL. This is, it doesn't get any bigger and better than this. Can I, can I, can I play in the NHL? You know, can I play in this game? Can I play in this league? Can I make the team? And it was, I was, I was nervous. I really was. And I really trained hard to make sure that I was ready to play. Uh, and to show that I was, you know, th- that the Hawks didn't make a mistake by drafting me and try to get me back to play. And, and I worked out pretty well. You get your first crack of NHL action on September 22nd during the Hawks' first exhibition game. And even though this was an exhibition game, oh my God, the talent that was in this game, you had Bunny LaRock in goal for the Montreal Canadiens. Keith Magnuson was your captain, who, by the way, during this game got ejected for evidently roughing up a linesman. You had Hall of Famer Larry Robinson, and the game ended in a 1-1 tie. But you made a real impression on your teammates. Uh, Doug Wilson was quoted in the Chicago Tribune as saying, I think we found ourselves a leader. Terry's going to be our answer to Bobby Clark. Bob Murray also said Roskowski is, is, gets it going. I know it's been over 30 years. But going into this game, what is your thought process? You, you know, it, it never have a second chance to make a first impression. Well, my, my, my first thought is I want to make sure that I, I fit in the team. I want to make sure that they knew that I was going to give it everything I got, every shift of every game I played, that I wasn't going to give up. I want to show them that if there was anybody to, to back somebody up, that I was going to do it. And I was working hard and, and support as best I can uh, the team and, and give it all I got. I, I, was, I was obviously pretty nervous. But I, I knew I, I knew I had to show like I knew I had to show them I I had to show them that I was here and that I had to make an impression that I was a good team guy and that I was going to do anything I can to make a hockey team and to to win a hockey game. So and I did everything. But you know what, Brett? I didn't know they said that about me. Uh, really? One thing, honest to God, I I never heard. That's the first time I've heard it. When I played and when I coached, I never read the paper because I didn't want I didn't want to blame any of my teammates i didn't want to blame any of the, the, the writers saying bad things about me and having that over their heads and i'm all of a sudden i'm not talking to them anymore there's times they came in they said you're terry i'm really sorry i wrote that in the paper and i go you know no worry because i didn't read it anyways so you never i don't read your paper never read the paper so your teammates saying this about you did you have any idea early on that you were making this much of a difference no i didn't i i, I really didn't and and i oh. and, and i'm shocked to hear that from them now because I never heard that from them before. Even though I respect those guys that said that, um, I I didn't know they said that, which I'm flattered to hear that because that means a lot to me now. Well, it's you and Rich Preston. You guys knew each other, but did you did you become close with anybody on the team during those first few weeks? Anybody kind of help you out? Grant Grant Mulvey and I we played on a line. It's called the RPM line, mm-hmm. and uh, we it was just I don't know why it was magical. Like I couldn't skate very well. Grant wasn't sure not a speedster, but he could shoot the puck. And I was a good passer. That's one thing I could do pretty good is pass. And, of course, Rich Preston was great in the corners and great going the net. So it was a combination of him getting the puck, me getting the puck. I go on the net. I, I never looked for him. I just looked at it for a stick. I never looked for anything else. I knew a stick, and I just give that little mattress pass. And he just one time in the top shelf and was just – like before I got there, he had 19 goals. And I think the year that I played with him, he had 39 goals. It was just magic. The first three games you guys played, you had something like six goals – between the line, it, it it was remarkable. So we get through preseason. The Hawks capture a two four and two record. So you know, eh, an okay preseason. But what's the general consensus among the team going into this season? I think there was there was questions. I, I think that in Stan Stan Mikita, which I I love Stan Mikita. Mm-hmm. I, I love and Keith Magnuson, great captain, great great captain, and I totally admire that that those guys. But it was it was. You could tell it was kind of a turning of, of 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 guys. Like they're bringing young guys in, and the older guys were kind of on their last, you know, one or two years. And in you could see the, the the youth coming in, trying to you know to help out as much as they could. And it was a time to to blend in the youth and the the veterans to blend in. And I think once that happened, I think that we knew that we had a pretty good hockey team. Well, the team gets off to a great start in front of ten thousand plus fans at the Chicago Stadium <laughs> for Game One. <laughs> Of the season. I thought it was 20, actually, because they sounded like they were 20. <laughs> and, and we're going to touch on that because I'd like to talk about the Chicago Stadium. And now that you've brought it up, 
everybody tells me, and unfortunately, I never got to experience it. I'm 35 years old, so it was oh, gone good. before. But how special of an arena was that building? I never, I was never in an arena that had so much effect on the national anthem and the cheering and the and the and the people supporting. And, and don't forget, they, they don't like you. They they let you know about it too. Don't gonna don't works both on, ways. All, it was not all roses. Don't tell me. <laughs> it works both ways. Yeah, but I could remember every Sunday when there was a football game and a hockey game that night. The and our, our ushers, our guys, our security guys were all police guys, and they had a, they had a tough job because there was two or three fights in the stand. You can guarantee that for sure. Uh, they were just it was just a rowdy bunch. But they when they started playing national anthem, they started cheering. Man, whoof! I remember one time, Brett, we were, we were playing the semifinals or. Um, yeah, we're in the semifinals against Vancouver. We won our first two, uh, St. Louis and Minnesota. We beat them, and it was the semifinals against Vancouver. And we came on for, for warm-up. This is warm-up for the game. And I bet you there was probably eight, 9,000 fans, and they that cheered. They cheered all the way the 18 minutes. They cheered all through the 18 minutes while we were warming up. I was so I was so pumped. I Paul Ford was our coach at that time. I said, "Pulley, start me and don't ever freaking take me off. I don't, <laughs> job right now. don't take me off. I'm pumped." It was unbelievable. That was the, the the most. I had goosebumps all the way through it. Like I just wanted to get the puck and shoot as hard as I could. I was skating around there like it was crowds crazy, man. It was just it was so jacked up. It was just the best crowd ever. Best rink. Best crowd ever. It was just. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. I remember watching, we had the All-Star game there, and I was watching on TV after I retired or left there. And they played in the All-Star game there. And, and they started, you know, the, it was I think the the Gulf War was on. And they this were was around 91. Yeah, it was around 91. The patriotic thing. And they started playing. They started showing the signs, and they started showing the flag and different things. I'm going, wow, this is unbelievable. What a great, what a great situation. What a great crowd. And that, is, those are the moments amazing. that you dream about when Absolutely. you're young as a hockey player. I Absolutely. Mean, you'll never forget that. And, never. and I guess, you know, going into the season, we talked about there were 10,000 fans. So it was a little bit of a lighter night, but it's Wayne Gretzky and the Edmonton Oilers are in town. You guys beat them four to two. And this was head coach Eddie Johnston's first NHL game and his first win. And awesome. evidently he celebrated by buying the team a couple cases of beer. <laughs> so I got to ask you, EJ sounds like a pretty good guy to me. What was your experience with him? EJ was a great guy. I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of EJ. He was a player's coach. Like he'd, he'd give it to you if you deserved it, but he pats you on the back when you deserved it too. He was just a good team guy. I really liked EJ a lot. I really liked him a lot. Uh, and, and later on in my career, he kind of revived my career back then when I was almost finished. He, he revived it again for me, but I, I love him. I, I, I sincerely do love the guy. He was a tremendous guy. Tremendous guy. And you know what? I really like Pulley. Bob Polford, I really liked him. Grouchy old fart. I tell you what. <laughs> I tell you what. He'd give the shirt off your back. I guarantee he would. He was that kind of a guy. Grouchy. Rah, rah, rah. You know what? Pulley, be quiet. Just listen to me. Okay, what do you got to say? You know, one of, the, one of those things. But I love Pulley. I remember he was lived out of uh, close to my place. And his car was broken. And he says, hey, Terry, I need, I need, need give, me, give me a ride in town, will you? I said, well, Carol's coming. My wife's coming in town with me. He says, ah, it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll get a ride with you. It's okay. So there's no smoking in my car. And she oh. had a sign there. And Pulley <laughs> was smoking at that time. Well, I was just a chain smoker. Smoking. So he gets in the car. He likes to smoke. And my wife was driving. She says, Pulley, read the sign. And Pulley turned the sign over. It was, this is a wintertime now. Open the sunroof and start smoking a cigarette. Carol, it'll freezing be all right. in Chicago. It'll be, yeah, it'll, yeah, it'll be all right, Carol. It'll be okay. Don't worry about it. It'll be okay. <laughs> but he's just a terrific guy. I just I really like Pulley a lot. Well, you mentioned Pulleford. I, I love Pulley. And you, you, you mentioned the head coach, EJ. So I, I think yep. it's only natural. I was going to talk about this later, but let's bring it up while we're here. What about your experiences with the Wirtz family? I like. I, I really liked them. I really liked the Wirtz family. I, I thought they treated me very, very well. Uh, I got a picture of here with myself and uh, the, the 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 old man uh, Wirtz and and Bill Wirtz. I, I really liked them. They 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 didn't really um, talk to the players a lot. They sat by us, like two or three rows behind the bench, but they didn't you know interfere with hockey that much. Uh, I remember when I was hurt um, and they went on a road trip. They asked me to talk to. I think they had a 
the, the company, uh, they're distributing Canadian club whiskey mm -hmm. to talk to their, to motivate their people. So I said, sure. So I went down there, talked to them and um, I, I really liked them. I, I know they were cheap. I know they didn't want to pay their players. Um, but I mean, I guess business people try to get the, the most for the less you can get. You know, I, I guess that's the way it is works, but I, I, I really liked them. I have no problem with any of my owners. The only problem I have it with Orville Tessier, which I can't stand. So we had Jerome DuPont on in the prior season. And Jerome, I, I'm assuming you played with him yep. at one I love, point. I love Jerome a lot. He's a good guy. And he said the same thing. Orville Tessier, he couldn't stand. But the Wirtz family, he said they might be cheap and the fans might not tolerate him. But if there was ever anything we needed, all it took was a phone call to the Wirtz family and it was taken care of. Yeah. So yep. that's fair to say? Yeah. Well, they had a guy working for him for 25 or 30 years. He was a guy that uh, he, he uh, had problems with his health and he couldn't work anymore. And he was so loyal to the company, Wirtz family, the work to the rink. The worst family says, you stay in your house as long as you want. I pay for your house. And your salary that you're making now, you'll get that for the rest of your life. Wow. He took care of you can't, You can't ask for anything nah, better nah. than that. No. I mean, everything we wanted, we got. And I had no problem with any of our owners. You know, Jerry Buss, he was good to me too. So after this opening game against the Edmonton Oilers, yeah. uh, you go on to play the North Stars and then have a tie with the Hartford Whalers. Uh, back in Chicago. And I want to touch on this because the Whalers at this time had a former teammate of yours playing for them and you played with them. I'm curious playing against them. What was it like playing against Gordie Howe, one of the best of all time? Well, I, I have a picture. I have a picture with him. Uh, with um, He's at the puck and I'm like on his back trying to check him over his back. And it has, get off my back, pal, Gordy Howe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, there's, there's not enough words that describe that man. I, I, I absolutely adored him. I hung around him more than his sons hung around him because I wanted anything that came off him, I wanted to pick up to, to know to how to handle myself off the ice, on the ice, with the media, talking in front of people. I want to know everything I could because I idolized the guy. I idolized him before I played with him. I idolized him more after I played with him. Wow. And he was 51 at this point, so he was a little bit older. And yeah, one yeah. thing you even mentioned is you said in the Chicago Tribune that no matter what, with Gordy respect, there's a certain, or with Gordy Howe, there's a certain respect. And you don't go after Gordy Howe. Absolutely. So that's how you remember it then. Absolutely. I remember one time when I was playing with him in Houston, we had five days, we had, excuse me, not five days, we had like 10 days before our first playoff game. And we were, because we were in first place, we had a great team. And we were scrimmaging, and I put the puck between his legs once, and I'm going, dude, I don't know if I should have done that. <laughs> and the second time around, I did it, I went around him, and he caught me right, right above the eye and uh, caught me for five or six stitches. He, he says, whoop, sorry, kid. Yeah, right. That's, that's okay, Gordy. And I was, I was, the towel was on my head, and his trainer was walking me off to get stitches. I went, and as soon as I got to the bench, he's coming on. He says, don't ever make me look bad. I said, sorry, Gordy, it'll never happen again. Promise it'll never happen again. Well, that game ends in a 3-3 tie, so you didn't make him look bad there. But you did score two goals during that game. And this would start a pretty good run for you as we get towards the end of the first month. Uh, you end up playing the Winnipeg Jets. They were in town against the Chicago Blackhawks. And you guys laid a beating on your former team with Tony Esposito backstopping the team to a shutout. Ted Bully scoring a hat trick, making this even more impressive is that it looks like Ted Bully played in this game after getting an elbow gash, uh, getting a real bad slice pretty earlier in the season against the Nordiques. Um, you scored your first goal in this route. And I I'm curious, how was it playing against your old team? Well, it was kind of like sweet revenge kind of deal. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, at that time, I, it, don't get me wrong. I think they kept the right people. Um, everybody in Winnipeg, oh, you should have kept Ruskowski and all this guy. I, I, I really do think they kept the right people. They, they, they had a Scott Campbell who was a young, aggressive, tough forward that could skate and move. Morris Luke, scored like 60 goals that one year. And I do think they kept the right people. But just going back and knowing that that was a team that could have could have got saved me and, and, and kept me in Winnipeg, it was kind of like sweet revenge. Yes. Sweet revenge. You know, I mentioned Tony Esposito. This was his 68th career shutout. And he had just come off a tough contract negotiating with the Hawks, which I think between him and Pulley, it took like two years. I I'm curious. <laughs> do you have any good Tony Esposito stories? Is it true that he was incredibly cranky on game days? He was horrible. <laughs> horrible. Like, don't even talk to him. If you don't even look at him, you don't have to look at him. Don't look at him. Like, don't do it. 
And I remember one time in practice, this is not during the game, but during practice, and I don't think he felt felt very good or whatever. And uh, he sat just on one at the post and let the whole open net wide open for the guys to score. He'd make it just a kind of a half mess, you know, half try to catch it. And I said to the guys, shoot right at him. Everybody shoot right at him. Oh, God. So everybody went down there, shot, had the open net and shot right at him. Well, four or five, he goes, hey, what the F is going on here, you guys? <laughs> I gave a whole F in net and you try to shoot at him. What's going on? went crazy. <laughs> the other story is, like, between periods, when you go to the bathroom, he mm-hmm. had, he was in the stall, and he had those old Langs gates with the old pads, and all he would do, he would just rock. He rocked and rocked and rocked, and you hear the old... And before the game, uh, Skip Thayer, our trainer, would have red hot and hot bomb from his neck all the way down to his ankles, every part of his body, he put that red hot stuff on him. And trust me, that thing is hot. Like, it'll burn your skin. What was his Every theory game. behind that? Well, I don't, just to stay loose, just to stay, you know, flexible and just to stay loose because that thing would just burn all the muscles. So he would never be stiff if they had, didn't have any shots on him because that the, that bomb would keep his mus- muscles, you know, ready to go, what he had to do. Well, on October 30th. I never saw, I never saw a more intense guy in my life. More intense guy of a game day in my life. So you guys would just, I mean, you eventually became team captain. You just did not talk to him on game days. No, no. <laughs> and, and it was obvious because you say something to him, he just walked right by you. Well, on October 30th, the Chicago Tribune reports that team captain and legendary Blackhawk Keith Magnuson was contemplating retiring, and he ends up doing it a few weeks later. He ends up playing 657 games. Legendary guy. I'm curious yep. what you think his legacy is as a former NHLer, and also, you know, why did he retire? Any 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 thoughts on that? Well, I, I, his knees were really bad. Mm-hmm. He had he had really bad knees. If I can remember right, it was either his knees or his back that was really giving him problems. I think Maggie goes down as the one of the most competitive, fierce leaders ever in the Blackhawk history. Like he was. It didn't matter if, he, if the guy was six foot nine and six hundred pounds. If something happened to his teammates, he was going to fight the guy. That that's just Keith Magnuson. And that was and, that era where it was almost anything goes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Trust me. But he was always there. He had everybody's back, and he was a guy that when he said something in the dressing room, everybody listened. And there was if he had a suggestion, he'd go around to the veterans and ask them what he thought you know, the right, what the right approach was to do this. So he'd always go in, in into the, any kind of situation knowing that the veterans or whatever would have his back, uh, saying what he had to say or do what he had to do. But um, Keith and I became very close friends because he lived out close to where I lived out in the North Shore in Chicago. And um, when he retired, he became coach after a while. Mm-hmm. And um, if we lose a game, like he would kind of, blame me and, and and sometimes I deserved it don't get me wrong I just took I swallowed it and went away with it but sometimes I didn't and I finally went up to him and I said Maggie why are you doing this we said Terry he says I, you know me and I know you were good friends and you know I don't want to disrupt everybody else I know you can take it and I said okay Maggie I can take it but I'm losing respect oh, because yeah. you're always yelling at me you, you know I'm losing respect from your my teammates because it's always my fault and they think it's always my fault and I'm and there I'm losing respect he goes oh 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 I didn't know that I'm so sorry you know no problem we'll, we'll fix things up no problem so I was going if you want to be your whipping boy that's fine if I deserve it Maggie but hey if I don't hey me you gotta slap. back off a little bit here you gotta give me some room here so he ends up you know with him leaving there is a vacancy at captain and <sighs> Despite being 24 years old, only playing in the league 12 games, you come out of this with the C on your sweater. How did this process happen? How, how did this go down? I don't know. I don't <laughs> know. I, you know, I, they know that I, I play hard all the time. And I, that was kind of like my, my you know, Ruskowski thing. No matter what the score is, he's going to play hard. Yeah, I was Hit your guys for it. That's that was kind of what I what I did all the time, and that's from junior, from minor hockey on. That's just the way I played. I always had guys. If I was trying to be like Magnuson, if something happened to one of our guys, I try to you know correct the situation, either fight the guy or talk to him or do whatever. Uh, I I don't know, but they made me the captain, and and I was uh, I remember on the phone in the dressing room, and I said to Dad because Dad was favorite team was. Mm-hmm. Chicago and oh man I said dad I said you're not gonna believe this he goes why he says 
they just made me the captain of the Chicago Blackhawks. I said, oh, son, I am so proud of you. Congratulations. I'm so proud of you. He says, how's, how's Dad Makita? Well, and, and, and I, said, I, I said, what? I said, what? He goes, well, well, how is he? He's a nice guy. And just at that time was coincidence. Dan was walking by. I said, hold on. I said, Stash, I said, please do me a huge favor. My dad's on the phone. He's still your favorite hockey player. He goes, really? He had gifts on the phone. He goes, Walter, Jinkuyich, Jindobin, <laughs> he said, He says, oh, Stan, how are you? You know, you're my favorite player. And they're talking for a while. He said, and he handed the phone back. And I said, Stash, thank you. guys. that no problem. I go, I said, Dad. He says, was that really, was that really Stan Makita? I said, yes, Dad. That was really Stan. Oh, thank you. Ter- oh, by the way, congratulations on being a captain. Oh, yeah. Th- th- good good job, by the way. But but thank you for, I got to talk to Stan Makita. That reminds me, you know, I work part-time for the Washington Capitals, and Scott Oak from Hockey Night in Canada did the exact same thing to my dad. I said, really? standing next to Scott Oak, and Scott goes, and, and I'm telling Scott that he goes, hi, this is, I'm telling my dad this and my dad had Parkinson's disease and, and um, probably a few months away before he passed away. And Scott got on the phone. He goes, hi, this is Scott Oak from Hockey Night in Canada. And my dad starts talking about my youth hockey career. I'm thinking, dad, you're <laughs> killing me here. This is Scott Oak. And, and I, you know, as, as people that listen to the podcast know, I had a little bit of a, a career. I refereed in the SPHL and some of the lower minor leagues. But I'm sitting here, Scott Oak, Hockey Night in Canada, and my dad is sitting here talking about my high school hockey championship. I'm like, thanks, Dad. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I, I am curious, though. You Was it a team vote or was it a uh, – I don't know. I, okay. I, I, I think Eddie, Eddie Johnson just – I know if he talked to the veterans. I, I don't know. I, I Honest to God, I don't know if it was a, if it was a vote or he just talked to the veterans and, 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 and said, you know, what should we do? I, I don't know. But were you uh, nervous at all? Were, were you nervous – that some of the veterans, I mean, you're young, you're 24, uh, might not listen to you. I wasn't. I, I, I guess I was just young and stupid. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that, that that was going to be the fact. I just, I said, I, I thought to myself, I played the way I did and they made me captain. I'm not going to change. I'm going to keep on playing the way I am and just go from there and learn from as much as I can, you know, from, from experiences and go from there and so as captain, do your goals change? I mean, before you're just, you, I get the impression from you that you are a guy that just wants to go hard every night. That's your right. job. Right. When you're captain, do things change? Is it still about you? It, 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 it is, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. It, it is that you have to keep on doing what you're doing to be successful. But now you got to think, like, I was a captain in L.A., and one guy wasn't playing very well, and I knew he was there was something wrong. So after practice, I kind of sat next to him. I said, man, what's going on? Are you okay? There's something going on. He goes, can we have lunch? I said, absolutely. So we we go out and have lunch, and he'd tell me his problems, you know, his family problems. Mm-hmm. And we'd try to talk about it and try to solve it as best we can. And it's nice to know after, we, you know, I get up from the lunch, he goes, yeah, hey, thanks, Terry. I really appreciate that. It was one of those things that I knew if something was bothering somebody, I'd try to help them as much as I can. And there's times where I I get on guys. I said, come on, for suck. Are you kidding? I try not to swear. Are you kidding me? get the freak going here we got to get going well you know, you're the guy that turns things around and we're not it's not happening why so you had to get on guys and and, yeah. and to keep them going and and one thing you talked about young guys this was an interesting time in mid-november because the team was carrying 21 skaters and gm bob pulliford and eddie johnson say that it's time to get the roster down to 18 skaters and you know it was just at a point where where, where guys are on the team and and pat ribble dave logan harold philpoff these guys are, are younger guys that are kind of bubble players. Were they sitting on pins and needles, and did you try to help them? Well, I I, I did, and I didn't. I mm-hmm. You know, I, I kept on encouraging them. You know, they said, we don't want somebody in the roster. I said, it doesn't matter. Just keep on doing what you're doing. Play harder. Got to play harder. You got to do this and got to do that to be successful. And you know, that was that was when they made the big trade with Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Chicago, I think, gave up two, and it got like four back. It was incredible. It was a big deal. And it got some pretty good players, too. You know, the younger players that, like I said, we're trying to get the youth back into the Chicago organization. It was kind of transition from the older to, to that time. I think Stan Makita retired. And, it, we're, you know, we're trying to bring the younger players in. So Stan Makita does retire, and it's right around this time. So I guess we should probably hit on this. I unfortunately never saw Stan play. I, I know about him from Wayne's World with Stan Makita's donuts. <laughs> but But tell me, what kind of hockey player was Stan Makita? Well, Stan Mikita played in the same team for 21 years. Which is incredible. Which is absolutely incredible. These nowadays are just, that's incredible. But he never got, he never worried. 
He never got frustrated. I, I always think, how does he go from one of the most pelleted guys next year to Lady Bing Trophy? How in the hell does that happen? Yeah, how does that happen? I, I don't know. I but talk talk about a great guy. Like he tell you something that was kind of you know like right to the bone. You're not playing good enough. He just gives and, you straight. And, yeah, and and you just go, you know I probably not. I better pick my game up because he just told me to pick my game up. But never, nobody ever, you know, had a confrontation with them because they had so much respect. Again, I, I, I love Stan. I, I, you know, when he passed away, I'm going, you got to be kidding. We just lost a great human being, not a, just a great guy, but a great human being and a great player. I, it, I, 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 him and his wife, Jill, were just tremendous people. And my wife, Carol, and myself, we got along with him so well. And I just, you know, he, he, he didn't have a, he didn't have a clique to hang around. He just, he, he was with everybody. We didn't care who it was, young guys, old guys. He'd hang around with everybody. Everybody loves Stan Mikita. Everybody and, loves Stan Mikita. And I'm assuming would, now, would he stick around after he retired? And would you still see him around the the stadium? Or not? Not as much as usually. He'd come down periodically, but not as much as we want to see him because he was always great to be around. He just just great to be around. But but his his attitude, like he could if he if his body held up, he could have played for another ten years. Like nothing. Him and Bernie Nichols. Like, nothing bothered them. They never got nervous. They never got upset. They just played the game, and they were very good at it. And I'm going, God, I wish I could do that because every game I feel like throwing up in the bathroom. I'm nervous. Who am I going to fight next? You know, who am I going to – if somebody challenged me, I got to I got to fight. Who is it going to be? What am I going to do against them? And all that kind of stuff. I mean, at night, I, the night before, we were playing a tough team. I, I couldn't sleep because I, I, I fought five guys already at, before midnight. And you fought a ton during the season, 19 fighting majors. And, and I'd like to touch on that in, in a second. But at this point, we're kind of at the end of November, early December. The team's kind of having a pretty streaky season. It's been up and down. And Eddie Johnson calls an hour-long meeting with all the players. And this was 30-plus years ago. But but do you recall kind of what the message was during this meeting? I I really can't. I, I can't remember what was all said in it. Um, we'll give you a pass. It was only 35 years ago. So Yeah. We'll, we'll, I have a good memory, just that's real short. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a pass. But one thing I, I, I'm curious what your thought was on this is towards the end of the month, the Washington Capitals come to town with a new head coach who's Gary Green, and he's the youngest coach in the NHL at 26 years old, so only two years older than you. What did players in the league think about a guy being so young taking over an NHL team? You know what, Brett? I didn't give a damn. I didn't know who Terry, I didn't know who he Green was. I had no idea who he was. I didn't care who was a coach. All I cared about was how we're going to win and who I was going to have to, you know, be in an altercation with, or how am I going to, you know, win a hockey game and what I'm going to do to 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 do that. I didn't care what age he was. I I never cared about first thing. I never cared about the goalie. Because I always thought they were always beatable if they get a good shot on them, and they always say if you, they, they can't stop, but they can't see. I never cared about who's the coach. I didn't care. You know, it didn't impact Don you. Don Cherry. Don Cherry was a coach. I didn't care. I, I I just didn't care. All I was all I was focused on was playing the best I can and win a hockey game. And and if I had to challenge somebody, if somebody challenged me to stand up and do what I had to do, and if I didn't, I'd call myself a coward until the next op- opportunity came around. So the team at this point was eight eight and six. And it continues to have a tough time through December, at one point going seven games without a win. After a 5-2 to two loss against the Rangers at Madison Square Garden, it's rumored by one player in the Chicago Tribune that Jim Pulliford might want his old job back. As a, I, Oh, go ahead. I, I, I wasn't for that. I, I wasn't for that at all. Well, he doesn't I, end up taking it. Eddie Johnson stays there. Yeah. But could you at this point tell that Eddie was kind of nervous? Well, I'm sure he was. Like with any nervous, with any situation where you're losing hockey games and they they count on you to win, and there was a first time coaching, and you're not winning hockey games. Always, obviously, there's pressure on you. But um, I, as a player, you know, I I felt that I was letting somebody down because we were losing, and I had to do something to correct the loss to get back on track. I was trying to figure out what we could do as a team to get better, to do something to to get back to get us back on the winning track. That was always a concern of mine. I was, I, I always never blame the coach. I blame the players for not doing what they're supposed to do because we had enough talent to do to do a better job than what we're doing. So the team would lose one more game before breaking its eight-game losing streak on December fifteenth with a win in Boston over the Big Bad Bruins, and then would get another win the following night against the Detroit Red Wings, where you dropped the gloves not once but twice. <laughs> you tangled with Reed Larson and Gina Mel. 
and you'd have 19 fighting majors during this season. <laughs> uh, Terry, I'm talking to you. You're a nice guy. And I know that off the ice, on the ice, that, you know, I, I get yeah. it. But yeah. why were you fighting so much? I had to prove something. I, I, but I had to, to who? prove something. First, first to my teammates and the second of all to myself and to know that I, I know that, that other teams, after you start fighting a couple times, three or four times, they all read the paper. And if somebody wants an altercation, they're going to go to a guy that, you know, this has done it for a couple times, and that's who they challenge. And I never want to back away from a challenge. And if I did, like I said before, I'd call myself a coward. I couldn't live with myself. If, if, even if I got beat, at least I know that I showed up for the challenge. And, um, and, and, I, and then I always, you know, back my teammates up. If somebody did something wrong with my teammates – I, gonna, I was going to try to fix, correct the situation by saying this is not going to happen again and, 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 and fight the guy and, and fight him. You said everybody would read the paper. You're not reading the paper, sir. Are you just going after everybody? I mean, who everybody that challenges me, like I didn't challenge a whole lot of guys unless they, unless they did something to my teammates. But I didn't, you know, I wasn't a chirper. I didn't chirp a lot. I, uh, you know, my action was my action. I had to do what I had to do, but I had to show that, that I wasn't going to be intimidated, that I was going to play hockey the way I was supposed to play hockey. I didn't care. I can remember the one time we were playing against Detroit, and, and this is a lot. We were hit by one goal, and uh, Eiserman was on the point, and I was on the ice, and the puck came around the boards, and I, and I crushed him. It was his last, like, last 14, 15, 16 seconds, maybe 20. And I, and I, and I went, I, we just crushed him over. The puck went out and then I got the puck and I and got to the red line and dumped it in or whatever. But I went by the Detroit bench and all their tough guys, all their tough Coke, guys. Sure. Uh, uh, Probert, they're all probably coming uh, for you. We're going to kill you, Ruskowski. You did that, guys. We're going to kill you. And the next time we're playing against you, we're going to kill you. We're going to do that. And I'm going... Okay. Well, I said, I said, pack a lunch or bring a tank because you're going to be a while, boys. <laughs> but I was thinking to myself, this is this is maybe the wrong thing to do. Even though we won the game, it was in the long run, maybe not the best thing I did. But in the heat of the moment, you got to do what you got to do to win a hockey game. 1979 comes to a close and the decades uh, ending. And this is a great way to end the decade. The Islanders are in town for a huge game against the Hawks. And the Hawks put, put the Islanders in their place, beating them 8 nothing. Esposito has a shutout. Grant Milvey scored a hat-trick. Rich Preston, Alan Day, Tom, Tom Lysak, Doug Wilson, yourself, all had goals. Bob Murray had four assists. But this was a penalty-minute-filled game with tons of rough stuff. It's the early 80s, and the Islanders, of course, would become the famous Islanders dynasty. Yep. What do you remember? What can you share about playing against the Islanders during this period? All I know is they, they they were a classy organization. They like they were. I I I, I don't know why I felt that. Um, mm-hmm. I just thought they were a classy organization. Like in junior, I fought uh, Gillies in junior, and that's <laughs> a stupid thing to do. But I but I knew some of the tough guys, and I played with Brian Trache in junior. He was on my team. Um, what a great player! Like I. I Pound for pound, I think he's probably one of the best players that I've ever played with or against. He's just an awesome player. I've heard that. Try to try to knock him off his skates. You couldn't. You couldn't do it. Um, and he was a, a great guy. Great, a great guy. A great guy. And he and he played on the team. And um, I remember Bossy. Something happened where uh, he kind of chopped me once, and I friggin' got him right in the back of the legs. <laughs> yeah, uh, I slashed him back the legs, and I'm going, "Oh, that could be a mistake." That's going to make me public. Uh, so we kind of we kind of had a we kind of had a chopping contest for a while with him him and I chopping each other. Um, but they they were tough, but their tough guys could play. That was the difference. Their tough guys could play, like Gillies could play. Uh, uh, and the, I can't remember the, the long haired nice drum. He oh could my gosh, play. yeah, yeah. Those guys could play. They were tough. They could, play, you know, uh, they could play and. I remember I got into a scrap with Howitt, and in, in the, my my estimate, the toughest guys to fight were the guys same guys as myself and had the same style because it was you know toe to toe, bang bang as fast as you can. And he was doing the same thing to me; I was doing to him. But I remember that was the first. It was in in it was Long Island, and I just come off the IR, 
and I wasn't in great shape and it was at the end of the game and he kind of challenged me. So I had to take the challenge. And, and I remember, you know, fighting for, we must've fought for about four minutes and I was so freaking tired. I went to the dressing room and I just, I passed out in the dressing room. I couldn't get my breath. I was just out of it. I was so, I was so tired because I hadn't played in, you know, two or three weeks because of my knee. And uh, I, that, that was, that was a tough one. Oh. He was, he went toe to toe. We went and had pretty good scrap there, but, but the, uh, those guys could play and they played hard all the time. Like, they didn't like Philadelphia. There was, there were cheap shot guys. You know, like they didn't cheap shot you as much as they were physical. I know that you know beating them eight to nothing. I'm sure they they were going to be a little bit upset, and they won some redemption one way or the other because that's how the way the, the game went back in the old days. If you wanted to embarrass me, then we're going to try to beat you up. But that, that makes kind of that makes sense in the sense of you're saying they're a classy organization. They weren't dirty. They played the game rough and yeah. physical, and they were fast. But, yeah. but they weren't dirty. And, you know, speaking of dirty, there, there's you play the Boston Bruins again, which were led by Garrett, Jerry, uh, excuse me, Gary Cheevers. I can't talk tonight. Yep. And yep. you also ended up fighting Mike Milbury, who, of course, has gone on to have an incredible broadcast career. What do you remember yep. about Mike Milbury as a player? Uh, he, he, he was kind of dirty. He, like he was mm-hmm. he was an average player, average defenseman, big. He's kind of he was kind of dirty. Uh, I remember the scrap and I think it was on uh, video when you. Uh, the, uh, on my fight situation there. And I remember him giving me an elbow and knock on my helmet off. And uh, I know he's bigger than me, but that wasn't a very nice thing to do. No, it was not. It was not. So we ended up having an altercation to say, you know, this, I'm not going to take it. If you're handing it, I'm not going to take it. So uh, I, we had an altercation, but um, Stan Jonathan was a tough little side. I fought him twice in one game in Chicago. And he was Probably a tough exhausted guy. Exhausted afterwards. And, and, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the physical play during this era. And, and you know, nowadays, I, I grew up in the, the late 80s, early 90s. I remember it was physical. But for, for newer fans that have seen the game now, the physical play, it, it was, I guess what I'm trying to say is, can you talk about the physical play? And, and, and was that just the era? I, I, I don't know if what I'm, what I'm asking is coming across. Um, well, here, here, here's how it went. When the Islanders won year after year they had a tough big team so everybody tried to get a big tough team to play mm-hmm. and when um philadelphia had it and they won the stanley cup all of a sudden everybody had to have a tough team because they wanted being tough and intimidate everybody so everybody had to be big tough guys well that went down the road. and then all of a sudden edmonton won it and they were wheeling and dealing they're cro- crossing over and just like the Russians do and coming up with speed. So everybody was doing that. And then it came around to where Washington won it and they were trapping and every team tried to do the trap deal to, to nullify everybody else from scoring, which was the worst thing for hockey. Cause uh, New Jersey, New Jersey won it. New Jersey with New yeah, Jersey. New, was Jersey. Trap. Yeah. New Jersey won it. Yeah. And they were trapping and that was the worst thing because it was just boring. Killed the game. Like, Killed the game. Yeah, it was be- the game was between the blue lines, and, and nothing was really generate offensive scoring. It it just did. It was horrible. But everybody did it because that's what New Jersey did. They won it. So it almost so goes like, in cycles now. Yeah, and when when again when uh, LA won it, they were really physical in the playoffs. So everybody wants the bigger guys to get physical again. It's just a trend. Whoever won, everybody tried to emulate tried that to team and try to win Stanley Cup. So in mid-January, uh, during a game against the Philadelphia Flyers, Reg Kerr, the Hawks' third-line center, suffers a broken wrist, and that leaves just two centers on the team, yourself and Tom Lysak. And the Chicago Tribune actually reported that the Leafs and Hawks were in serious talks in order to try to acquire Daryl Sittler. Did you ever hear this rumor? It was the Maple Leafs wanted Ted Bully, Doug Wilson, and a first-round pick for Daryl Sittler? Did you ever hear that? I did not. Fair enough. I, again, I don't think I've... I... Again, I, I can't remember that happening. I can't. I can't remember that happening. I remember Tom. I remember Tom Lysia coming to training camp, and he hadn't skated all summer. And he he put on brand new skates every year, and he always had blisters and couldn't skate. Ugh. But once he once he broke the skates in, he was his hands were incredible. He had great hands. But it was funny because he was always be the last one, and I felt good because I, I was a slow skater. And I was always ahead of him all the time. So. Right, because he hasn't skated in months. That's smart. It's good yeah, thinking. He hadn't skated for three months. He hadn't seen the ice. And he had to. He was skating. I love Tom. Tom was a good guy, too. I liked him. January 24th, the Broad Street Bullies are in town in Chicago, and you continue to be a physical force in the NHL and nearly start a riot after Fred uh, fighting Fred Bathel. 
bottles were thrown from the stands. It was supposedly a crazy night. But in February of 1980, hockey history is made, but not in the NHL. In the Northeast, the Olympics were being played, and the U.S. hockey team has a remarkable performance, winning the gold medal and upsetting the Soviets in the process. And I've never asked anyone that was playing in the NHL during this period, was that something that was on your radar? Were you guys paying attention to that contest at all? Uh, absolutely. I, I know I was. I, I watched it. It was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. I, I watched it, uh, the scenario of it all, it, it how it built up. I I end up playing with a lot of those guys. Oh, Callahan was a draft pick. I know he played in that game. Oh, I loved him. I, I loved him. He was, a, he was my roommate. Oh, was he really? He was my roommate in Chicago uh, for a while, and uh, we had curfew check, and Orville Tessier come around, knock the door, and and uh, and uh, he knocked the door and always say, "Who's there?" He was a boss guy. "Who's there?" "Who's there?" No answer. You knock again. He goes, "Who's there?" <laughs> you no know, answer. You knock again. He says, "You can knock all freaking night. I'm not opening the door and telling me who's there." He said, "Orville Tessier." He said, "Well, why don't you say so?" You open the door and say, "Well, we're here. Good night. Bye." <laughs> and the reason, and the reason, don't get me wrong. The reason I didn't like Orville Tessier is because he lied to me. He lied to me two or three times right to my face. And what did he lie and about? He lied about, you know, if you work hard, you're going to be on the team. Don't worry. Because when I went the second year, I went back, um, uh, or the third year I went back, uh, I had knee, knee surgery, which the worst thing that ever happened to me. I should have never had the knee surgery. Never. Even though I had torn cartilage, whatever, I could have played through that because it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. The knee surgery was horrible. Now it's okay, but it took me back three years. Because my, you look at my numbers, and my numbers went right downhill. You know, during training camp, every second day they were they were drawing. Uh, you know, they had to get a needle stick in my needle. Uh, they had to give you a shot. All the fluid, yeah. it drained all the fluid out of there. It was just mm. crazy. And this big old brace they had. They don't have braces like they now. But it was a big old sloppy brace. I couldn't step over. It was just, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. And it and it, it, it took me back three years. But I came back and I worked hard. And he and he said. Uh, Oh yeah, no worries, Jar. You're going to be on the team and all this kind of stuff. And I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't start the opening night, and I knew that that was. And I've heard nothing but bad stuff about Orville yeah. Tessie, but he's just a lion sucker. And then I got traded, and I and I and police, I went to pull and I said, "Pulley, what's going on? Tell me." He goes, "You know, I don't come early and and uh, show me to work hard, stay late and work hard, and show them that you want to be here." So I did. Like guys were coming in, I was on the ice shooting and, and skating myself before the guys just went in the dressing room. And then it didn't happen. He says, uh, "Okay, if something happens, where would you like to go?" And I said, you know, I don't know." I said, "How was L.A.?" He goes, "I loved L.A. I thought it was a great place to live. I enjoyed it there." And I said, "That'd be a cool place to go because I always enjoy going there, playing against L.A. Kings." What's not to like? It's L.A. Yeah. So I, you know, play, I, all of a sudden I'm playing in St. Louis and I got a goal and assist and I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Maybe getting back the lineup and I see some guys from LA there, but I'm, I'm too stupid. I'm didn't put one and one together and got off the plane and pulley called me over uh, the airport in Chicago and said, we just traded you last night. I go, you got to be kidding. And that was, it was the a news. slap in the face, real slap in the face. I'm going, you got to be kidding, which I knew it probably is going to happen, but I didn't want it to happen. Mm, mm, mm. and uh, he said you're you're going i said where to and he said well you want to go to la that's where i traded you what a terrible said, way to end a good run yeah yeah with, with the blackhawks and yeah i, I mean in the airport yeah it just and you and the night before you even said you saw some of the guys from la yeah. and were thinking to yourself yeah. what are these guys doing here yeah yeah Unbelievable. i thought they may be in town playing next game or something they're just scouting a game or something but um well and then i then he told me, I said, when they wanted to play, and I said, uh, they went tonight. I go, what? <laughs> so I, I went home. I packed a couple things in the bag, got my bag, my my uh, my equipment bag, jumped on a plane. I'm, I'm scared of flying, by the way. I'm scared of flying. I, I'm I've flying heard from Chicago to L.A. That you are horrified of planes. Where does that come horrible. from? Horrible. I, I, when I was a kid, I think, well, here's I, there's two, two, two theories I, I, that I have. When we were playing junior, we took a, when I was playing in, in Swift Current, we we drove to, to Calgary. We played the team there. We flew from there to Victoria Island, which was fine. And then the way back, we hit turbulence, like was unbelievable turbulence. Like the food was stuck up in the ceiling. The girl hurt her ankle because she went, you know, hit her, hit her roof. And I was just terrified. I was, And I think that probably started. But I have phobias. I, I'm claustrophobia. I have claustrophobia. 
at obscure heights. And that's not a good, not a good combination, not a good combination. If you're going to fly, just jumping back on topic by the end of February, the Hawks have strung together eight wins in a row. And it seems like you could barely draw fans. Now it's hot. You're selling out every night. It's a couple things. One, what changed? And two, what did the city of Chicago, how did you feel in that city? Were fans coming up to you regularly? Uh, I didn't I didn't hang around like downtown a whole lot. Mm-hmm. I it with with me it was I, I like to be around my family. Well you I were married at the time, and, right? Pardon me? You were married at the time, right? Yep. Right. So you were probably with your wife most of the time in your family. Yeah, she was pregnant with my first daughter, and she actually had the, the baby in Chicago. And um, so I was kind of a home-like-home guy, and I always kind of went home. But, uh, yeah, it was kind of nice to be Christmas time. People come around giving us things, and, hey, good job, good work, and everything else. And it was kind of nice to be acknowledged because we were always the third the third rung in, in, in the sports. When you listen to sports. The Bears, say, the Bulls. Oh, you know, and, yeah, yeah, it was Football team, then the basketball team, and then there's a hockey team. Like, okay, it doesn't matter. So we're getting a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, which was good. It was nice to see that they actually said something about the, the Blackhawks on, on, on TV and radio sometimes. But, again, I, I didn't listen to because I didn't want them to say something bad, so I just turned it off. You end up getting hurt in mid-March. You, you, you have a hip issue. What exactly happened to your hip? I, I don't know if it was a hip or a knee situation. I, I had... Um, um, well, it sounds like it was a game with the against the Canucks, and and but you get back in mid March, and and the praise that you're getting, I, I can't emphasize how well you're playing. Nordiques coach Jacques Demers insists that despite not appearing on the scoreboard during this game against the Quebec Nordiques, you're the biggest contributor on the ice. You are having a career year. I am. I and was. I don't think I can put in words how well the team is playing. And you know, as we get to the playoffs, the team plays in a pair of games against the Blues to round out the season and the Jets and the Red Wings. You guys end up sweeping the Blues in the first round. And and I know the Blackhawks and the Blues would have a great rivalry, but at this point, yeah. was the rivalry like that? It, it was pretty bad, but not as bad as it was when I left. It, it got really it got really. I got crazy after a while. It was rivalry was there. It really was like I think I fought Sutter every game and, <laughs> uh, and a couple other guys, whatever. But it was uh, – I remember playing in there and um, uh, uh, Murray uh, Bannerman was in the net. Yep. And I remember there was, we played at the old Checker, Checker Arena and he sweated a lot. And I remember him coming out to get the puck and he was on one leg, one leg, and all of a sudden he just gone passed out just because it was so down, hot fell down and they had to carry him off the ice he was in the dressing room getting you know getting more fluids in him because he just he sweated so much there was no air conditioning in the building and and uh, he sweated so much and they had to he had to get tony back in to play the the rest of the game mm-hmm. but it was a tough series it was a tough series they had a good team and it was a tough series and it was good it was good to beat those guys how did the playoffs in the nhl compare to those in the wha or was there a difference ah <sighs> Boy, it's hard to compare because you're, it was really intense, like really intense. It, both situations were very intense. Um, uh, I, I guess NHL a little bit more talent. Mm-hmm. You had you, like you couldn't take a shift off because if you did, you're going to score against you. Um, in the WHA, you could take a couple of shifts off um, and and still be okay. In the in the NHL, you took a shift off. You didn't do your job for one second or you didn't take your guy to the net one second it could be game over so you always had to be on your toes in NHL as good as that first series was was as bad as how the second series was against the Sabres when they sweep the Blackhawks for nothing and that would end your season you know we could do a whole episode I think on the playoffs from this year but briefly what do you think went wrong against the Buffalo Sabres well I I didn't play against him. I, I got I got into a fight with Larry Playfair, and uh, we were both laying on the ice on the side, and he got his arm loose, and he punched me in the eye, Oof. and he broke a he broke a bone in the back of my eyeball. So every time I, I had double vision when I looked down all the time, and I and I couldn't I couldn't play because I didn't know where the puck was, um, and that wasn't because we lost. It's just one of those things that just everything was clicking for them, and nothing was working for us, and we tried different things, just nothing was successful. 
everything went wrong. And as we know that that sometimes happens in hockey, but Terry, I've taken an hour out of your night before we <laughs> sign off. I, I always ask people, what are you up to now? Tell everybody what you've been doing lately. Well, uh, after I finished coach or uh, finished uh, playing, I coached for 20 some years in the East coast league and the central hockey league and Western Canada, Saskatoon blades. Um, and then I and then I kind of semi retired uh, a couple of years ago. In last year and this year, I, I'm working as a consultant, not a consultant, but I get on a consulting basis with the Dallas Stars here in Dallas, Texas. Very cool. Uh, we, we call it's called the Extreme Team, and there's uh, five or six ex NHL guys. In uh, uh, um, Dwight Mullins is in charge of it all. And we go around, Dallas has, the Stars have eight rinks, and we go around to different rinks, and we teach the kids, we go and we, we section the rink off in six parts. And one day we'll be passing, we'll do different passing drills for eight, eight minutes. You'll blow the whistle, then we go to the next station, it'll be passing drill, but it'll be a different type of passing drill. So we, we do that, we do skating, and then we do puck handling, we do passing. So we try to teach the kids, you know, the, the basics and, and how to do hockey. And the good part about it is that, Brett, which I really impressed, is that the, the, the Dallas Stars will give, if, if you want to start up hockey, start up hockey, and you think it's expensive, they give you all the equipment. Makes all it fun for life. And if you want to try it, Keep the equipment. If you don't like it, just give it back. What a nice gesture. What a that's great. Because everybody's thinking it's so expensive. The ice, you know, the ice rental is expensive, obviously, everywhere. But the you know, the skates, everything else is, is supplied there in the bag. And if you like it, keep it. If you don't, just give it back. So we're getting a great response. A lot of girls are coming out to 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 to, to these practice thing, uh, drills that we have and a lot of kids and we'll have we'll have sixty or seventy kids at a time do this kind of uh, process so it is it is it every day no but during the summertime we do it at one ring for the whole week so we do it uh, there's a couple rings to do it twice so we do it nine weeks in the summertime monday through friday we were there doing it with the kids so keeps me busy all summer but during the winter time it's it's by like in, in this month we have uh, three three sessions the next month we have three so it keeps us a little bit busy and keeps us on our toes and and keeps us involved in hockey some part well, that's great. And, and I'll tell you, I appreciate you stopping by and giving us a year in the life of Terry. <laughs> Thank you, Terry, for coming by. Great episode. Great interview. Really enjoyed that. Terry told me off air he doesn't get to talk too much hockey anymore being in the Texas area. So we will definitely have him back on for another episode. Maybe we'll do the Pittsburgh Penguins. Maybe we'll do the North Stars. Who knows? Probably won't do the LA Kings because I've got more Kings interviews coming. And as you guys know, I do like to switch it up. I don't like to do the same teams. With that said, of course, I have another Chicago Blackhawks interview this week with a former member of the organization, not player, member of the organization. So I think everyone will enjoy that. And once I record it, I'll give everyone a little sneak peek maybe of who that will be. In the meantime, enjoy your week. Maybe I'll watch some hockey. Maybe I won't. I'm in Washington, D.C. So right now, everybody's attention is on the Nationals, including the Capitals. Every time I turn on the news, it has the Capitals watching the Nats game. It's kind of funny, especially because this used to be a Redskins town and nobody cares about the Redskins. Sorry, Dan Schneider. Anyways, no more DC sports talk. You're here for hockey. Speaking of hockey, please don't forget to follow us on social media at Snapshots in Hockey History, on Facebook, and on Twitter at Snapshots. And also, please leave a review or consider leaving a review wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to share, spread the word. I really appreciate uh, everybody sharing it on social media. I know people have been doing that the past few weeks, so thank you for that. Have a great week. See you guys next week for another episode. Talk to you then. Bye.